From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, thanks for tuning in. Coming up on this Tuesday edition of Washington Watch, will President Biden's student loan bailout survive Supreme Court scrutiny? We take very seriously the idea of uh, separation of powers and that power should be divided uh, to prevent its uh, uh, abuse. This is a case that presents extraordinarily serious, important issues about the role of Congress and about the role that we should exercise in scrutinizing that. That was the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts, earlier today. The high court heard two cases today challenging the nearly half-trillion-dollar taxpayer-funded bailout. One of the cases involved the state of Missouri. The Attorney General of Missouri, Andrew Bailey, joins us in studio in just a moment. We'll also discuss an investigation General Bailey is leading into the practices of the Washington University Transgender Center at St. Louis Children's Hospital, which, according to a whistleblower, has led to children even attempting suicide. Now, this information has not been tracked or reported, according to Jamie Reed, the whistleblower, because the clinic doesn't want to have to stop prescribing these these same uh, these uh, cross-sex hormones. Now, the question is, is this driven by profit or by a blinding ideology? We're going to talk about that. Also, why has the medical community taken such a radically abnormal approach to transgender procedures? What is being referred to as gender-affirming care is in direct opposition to our knowledge regarding development and our understanding of good research and treatment. Compared to other psychological disorders in the DSM-5-TR, gender dysphoria is currently being treated with the most invasive interventions connected to a psychological issue. That was Dr. Jennifer Bowens, a licensed therapist and clinical researcher, testifying before the Nebraska legislature earlier this month. Dr. Bowens joins me in studio to discuss the why surrounding the transgenderism. That was the why, now the who. The World Health Organization is meeting in Geneva, Switzerland this week to advance the pandemic accord that will give the WHO unparalleled global authority in the next pandemic. This pandemic accord uh, should have all the lessons that uh, we have learned uh, from this pandemic uh, because the key indicator should be that we should not repeat the same mistake again. Yeah, let's hope not. Let's not give them any power. That would be repeating the mistake if we give them any power at all. That was the WHO Director General Tedros Ghebreyesus. We'll talk about it with Jim Roguski, a member of the Law and Activism Committee at the World Council for Health. And with the WHO seeking to grab global power in the next pandemic, even as evidence amounts that they horribly, horribly mishandled the COVID pandemic, a Committee on Government Oversight met today. To be clear, public health officials are not wrong for making recommendations based on the knowledge that they had at the time. But that's not actually what happened. They were wrong because they refused to evolve their positions as the data became abundantly clear. That was Dr. Marty McCary before subcommittee of the House Oversight uh, Government and Oversight Committee earlier this afternoon. We'll talk with Congresswoman Lisa McLean, a, a member of the House Oversight and Accountability Committee. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything, it's all archived right there at TonyPerkins.com. Our word for today comes from Jeremiah 26, where Jeremiah again warns of God's judgment if the people don't amend their ways. Verse 11 says, And the priests and the prophets spoke to the princes and all the people, saying, This man deserves to die, for he has prophesied against this city as you have heard with your ears. 
Now, I have to say, that's not a very receptive crowd, but notice who's stirring the pot. It's the compromised priests and prophets. It was the same in Jesus' day, and quite frankly, it's the same today. Just remember, it is the truth, not deception, that is most often met with hostility. So we need to know how to stand alone, just like Jeremiah. Look how he responds in verse 14. It says, as for me, here I am. In your hand, do with me as seems good and proper to you. He didn't say, if I offended anyone, I apologize. He said, here I stand. We cannot apologize for the truth of God. To find out more about our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. Earlier today, the U.S. Supreme Court heard arguments over President Biden's student loan bailout program, which could cancel up to $20,000 in outstanding student loans for tens of millions of former students. Now, with taxpayers footing the nearly half-trillion-dollar bill, the arguments come four months after an appellate court hit pause on the program. In the first of two cases related to the program, the justices took up the challenge presented by a group of six states, Missouri, Nebraska, Iowa, Arkansas, Kansas, and South Carolina. Here with me now in studio to discuss this and more is the Attorney General of one of those states, Andrew Bailey of Missouri. General Bailey, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so before we get into the specifics of the arguments, give us a brief refresher course on how we got here. Yeah, absolutely. Look, this is about protecting the Constitution and the working people of the state of Missouri for me. And the way we got here was that President Biden campaigned on a promise to eliminate student loan debt in the United States of America. He then worked to get a bill through Congress and failed to do so when his party controlled majority in both the in the House. And so uh, his failure to do so led him to then turn to unelected federal bureaucrats to start a program under the HEROES Act of 2003 in order to cancel almost a half trillion dollars in student loan debt. And the problem we have here is one of essentially of separation of powers. Nothing authorizes the president unilaterally the power of the purse. In fact, that power is reserved to Congress. So that's where the constitutional issue comes in. It was interesting in listening to some of the arguments. I think it was Justice Sotomayor uh, was discussing the uh, pull up her comments here. She says uh, there's uh, 50 million students who are or who will benefit from this who today will struggle. Many of them don't have the assets sufficient to bail them out after the pandemic. They don't have friends or family or others who can help them make these payments. Is that really a question for the court? I mean, that sounds like a policy matter. Well, it is a policy matter. And look, that's the whole point. Policy decisions need to be left to the Congress. The to people's, the elected representatives. Exactly. The, people. the people's elected representatives need to draw and under these our system, as you pointed out, when you're talking about money, the purse, that's the, that's the Congress. Our founders understood that separation of powers prevents a tyrannical centralized government. And so Congress has to have that authority, not the president. And so it's a constitutional issue, but it's a statutory issue as well. The statute that Biden is trying to use to pigeonhole this program into is like hiding an elephant in a mouse hole. Congress did not explicitly authorize this uh, a program of this magnitude under the HEROES Act of 2003. That was actually intended for veterans in the war on terror right. to not have to have stiffer penalties for their failure to pay back student loans during their service in the war on terror. But you, you pointed out that there was actually a bill that the president had promised to advance and his own party would not get it across the goal line. So really the, the intent is pretty clear of Congress here is not to bail out students who have student loan debt. 
Yeah, that's right. Look, uh, President Biden knows this is unconstitutional. He knows it's illegal because he doesn't have the statutory authority. And and I think that the court pretty quickly latched onto that. And going back to that fairness issue, you know, that's something that uh, concerns me greatly for a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, as someone who paid for my school in blood, sweat and tears and service to my nation, uh, there, there's nothing free. Canceling debt is not a thing. Somebody's going to pay that. It's put on the the shoulders of the working people in the state of Missouri who didn't take out loans to go to college and made those tough decisions. And so if President Biden wants to to pay off uh, other people's student loan debt, then he needs a bill through Congress so that we can have fair and open debate in the halls of Congress. Well, there's also the concern if you do it this time, you're going to find another occasion to do it yet again. And with $32 trillion in debt, we really can't afford it. But, of course, those are policy questions. I want to go to the issue that appeared to be the most um, focused upon, and that was the issue of standing. Now, if I'm correct, the other states were not able to advance the Supreme Court because they didn't have the standing. Uh, Missouri did because of a government agency there that's involved in the student loan business. That's absolutely right. I mean, Missouri's integral to this case for for that reason. In 1981, the Missouri General Assembly enacted uh, a statute that uh, created the Missouri Higher Education Loan Authority. So it's a creature of statute that administrators administrates student loan uh, payment and repayment under state law. It it is an absolute creature of statute. They owe money to the state in the Lewis and Clark Discovery Fund that's used to pay for uh, capital improvements in higher education facilities. And they also fund scholarships. So there's direct concrete harm to the state of Missouri if those student loan repayments to Mohila are canceled by President Biden's plan. One of the justices asked, why did that agency not advance this case? Why is it coming from the Attorney General of Missouri? Well, they didn't need to be there because I was there for them. I mean, they're an entity of the state. Their directors are appointed by the governor and serve five-year terms. They're a creature of statute, and they can only do what what they're authorized to do by the General Assembly, and I represent the state of Missouri under statutes that give me that authority. Uh, it, it's a regular occurrence that the Missouri Attorney General's office represents the state and that client agencies are maybe named in the suit but don't appear in court because the AG goes on their behalf. So there's nothing uncommon about that, and it doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that the people of the state of Missouri suffer a concrete harm from President Biden's bailout. So, General Bailey, your assessment based upon today's oral arguments? I think it went well. I think the conservative justices showed skepticism about uh, the merits of the case. I think that it's it's significant that uh, Chief Justice John Roberts didn't latch on to the standing issue, and that's something that he would otherwise be concerned about. At the end of the day, they you know the, the Solicitor General's office can't get around the fact that Mohila is a cre- creature of Missouri statute and is a governmental entity that performs a, a a quintessentially governmental function, public function. And so standing is proper, and I, I like where we are in the suit. Uh, you, you don't have to comment on this, uh, but I think that the students are about to get kind of an addendum to their education. It's going to be political science because they're going to realize it's going to be their first bait and switch because this came right before the election, I think, is an enticement to young people to support President Biden and the Democratic Party. And they're going to find out that they were promised something that they're not going to get. Yeah, I mean, it's really unfortunate. Look, like I said, I I stand by my conviction that President Biden knows this is unconstitutionally and illegal. That's why he tried to get a bill passed. And when he couldn't, he had to lean on his unelected federal bureaucrats. And they're they're trying to hide an elephant in a mouse hole, which the Supreme Court has rejected in the past. Um, This was taken on an expedited basis, if I'm not mistaken. So do you think you'll get a decision on this prior to the end of this term this coming summer? 
Yeah, we're hopeful. I mean, I, I think that we would get a decision no later than June. So hopefully in the next uh, 90 to 120 days, we would have some clarity from the court. And look, the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals has already found that standing's proper because of Mohila's, the nature of the relationship between the state and Mohila. And so I, I like where we are in litigation, and I'm hopeful we'll, we'll have an answer pretty soon. The uh, Were you in the courtroom for the, for the other uh, case that was presented? I was. What what's your sense on that case? Yeah, you know, private plaintiffs, uh, I think that it's a harder argument to make. Um, certainly the court spent more time on, on our case, which preceded the private plaintiff's case. And that's not to undermine the arguments they're making. I think they are significant arguments that need to be considered closely. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's clear if you just look at the amount of time allocated to the arguments that the court spent more time on the state's uh, case. So if, uh, very quickly, we're almost up against a break, if they were to say that you don't have standing, but who would have standing? Well, that's a good question. I mean, at the end of the day, someone has to be able to challenge the constitutionality of President Biden's violation of separation of powers. And who better than yeah. states, especially when I can show concrete harm to the state of Missouri? Well, it'll be interesting to see the outcome of that. Attorney General Bailey, I know you're going to stick with us because on the other side of the break, uh, we're going to continue our conversation. We're going to be talking about an investigation that uh, General Bailey has launched into a pediatric gender clinic in St. Louis where children are allegedly being placed prematurely on puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones, oftentimes without or often uh, with coerced parental consent. This has actually led to, to these young people, some in some cases, attempting suicide, which they had not done before. And according to the whistleblower, this is not being recorded, it's not being reported. Um, why? What's going on here? Why are we treating this one thing differently than everything else? We're going to talk about it next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. More Washington Watch straight ahead. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that first by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. 
Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldviews monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us today. If I can get my earpiece in. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, earlier this month, the uh, Washington University Transgender Center at St. Louis Children's Hospital came under scrutiny after former case manager, Jamie Reed, blew the whistle on what's been happening to children there. Now, among her allegations is that uh, children are being placed on puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones, oftentimes without individualized assessments. It's it's like a cookie-cutter process. They're just kind of moving them through. And if I read the reports correctly, 100 percent. I mean, there's very few uh, rejections, if any. Now, this is often done without parental consent or with the parents being coerced. And according to Reed, these actions have led to children actually attempting suicide. These are these are young people who had not attempted it prior to these treatments. Now, as a result of sworn testimony of the whistleblower, A multi-agency investigation into the transgender center has been launched by the Missouri Attorney General, Andrew Bailey, and he's in studio here to talk with us about it. General, thanks for sticking around. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, so fill us in on the background of this. Well, our office was notified by the whistleblower and provided uh, sworn testimony in the form of an, of an affidavit. And, you know, when, when that, this kind of whistleblower steps forward, you got to take these allegations seriously because it's children's lives that are put at risk. And if you look at the whistleblower herself, this is a person that self-describes as a progressive who's married to a transgender man who asked to be a case manager at a pediatric transgender clinic because she believes in transgender rights. So when she says this is going too far and harming children, you got to take that seriously, and that's what we've done. And so to, the, to that end, we have launched a multi-agency investigation. We're proud to be leading that effort, and we're, gonna, we're not going to stop till every stone is un, unturned and we get to the bottom of it and hold people accountable. So first question, this whistleblower credible? Yeah, I mean, based on the four corners of the affidavit, I believe that to be accurate. I mean, again, this is someone who believes in this stuff, but even says these behaviors go too far. And this isn't medicine. This is child abuse. That's the allegation she's making. So let's talk about some of those allegations. What is she alleging is actually occurring in the center? Well, first and foremost, she says that the uh, transgender clinic is administering 
puberty, puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and ultimately recommending surgery for minors who enter the clinic with gender dysphoria. And that they're doing that to the exclusion of psychology or psychiatry. So in other words, kids walk in with a mental health disorder, and instead of talking to them, the doctors and the clinicians race to administer pills and surgery. And we know these have lifelong right. deleterious consequences for the health of these, these kids that turn into adults. And I've actually read there have been cases uh, out of that clinic where uh, there have been procedures taken, irreversible, and within uh, just a couple of months, these young people have come back and say, I want to reverse this. And they can't. You can't. I mean, th that's the problem. And the other thing is, this causes lifelong health consequences that require the patients to be constantly receiving medical treatment. So it's almost like getting hooked on a drug that you can't then get off of. Perpetually. Correct. Yeah, and I think that's why other nations across the globe have kind of rejected the medication and surgery model in favor of psychology and psychiatry. Talk to the people with mental health problems instead of instantly jumping to medication and surgery. I mean, it, what's the motive behind this? I mean, maybe you're not far enough into your investigation to see if it's driven by an ideology. Is it driven by a, prop, uh, a profit motive? Well, and I think it could be both. I mean, the two aren't mutually exclusive, and who can say which predominates over the other? But it's but if the even a tenth of the allegations in the affidavit are true, they're abusing children and not putting in the best interest of the children first. General Bailey, talk about the coercion that uh, comes into play with parents. What are they doing to coerce parents? Well, look, with serious procedures like this, there needs to be parental consent under state law. And the allegation that the whistleblower makes is that there was inadequate or not real substantive parental consent. And in fact, parents were coerced into making these decisions. And so doctors would say things in front of the parent and the patient child, like, do you want a live son or a dead daughter? I mean, think about that. They're injecting a suicidal ideation into the conversation with the child. How can the child ever recover from that? So, right. again, these people come in with mental health problems, and they're in such a race to administer medication and surgery that they're saying things like that in front of the kids. Well, what decision can the parent make at that point? And the problem is the clinic's not doing any kind of clinical assessment or tracking the harms. You're an, I mean, you're the attorney for the state of Missouri, and I know you can't provide legal counsel, but Look, to me, that sounds like make, forcing someone under dis, dis, in a distressing situation to make a decision that is life-altering. I would think that there's liability for the, this clinic from these parents who feel like they made this under distress and they want to come back and, and rectify it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, look, this is an all-hands-on-deck approach. Like you said, we're, we're going to leave no stone unturned. We're going to use every body of law necessary to protect kids and hold people accountable. And I would assume that there are individual plaintiffs that would have claims to bring as well, especially if they were uh, under duress, coerced into making these difficult decisions that have lifelong consequences. What's the status of the investigation, and what, what's the timeline you see playing out here? Well, we spent the first couple of weeks reviewing the evidence and marshalling state resources. And so there are different buckets of law that this fits into. There's the professional licensure bucket. So did anyone abuse the uh, ethical and legal standards of their licensure? There's the Medicaid fraud compliance statute that includes criminal liability. And then there's the consumer protection statute. And so each of those processes move at, at a different pace. But we anticipate uh, forward progress. And we're doing our best to uh, expedite because we understand the importance of protecting children. And to that end, you know, we called on the clinic to institute a moratorium on taking new patients pencils down until we can get to the bottom of this and if kids are being harmed we got to put a stop to it and the clinic acknowledged the seriousness of the allegations and admitted that they're going to do an internal investigation but declined the moratorium and at this point in time 
a moratorium is the best safety measure we can put in place to protect the kids, and we hope that the uh, the clinic will, will see the light of day on that issue. And it's not just a couple of uh, young people going in there. I mean, in a, in a two-year period from 2020 to 2022, they initiated medical transition for more than 600 children. Well, there's another point of this, and that is that the uh, individuals from the clinic testified to the Missouri General Assembly just a year ago that surgery was never recommended for anyone under 18. Well, that is directly contradicted by the whistleblower's testimony in the form of the affidavit. So there's a lot going on here, and again, that's why it's imperative that we stand up and fight to protect the kids and put an end to this. And and that you've seen that trend across the the globe that other more progressive nations like England, Finland, have have stepped away from this. Yeah. So you know, I I I think the eyes of history are on us right now, and will judge uh, our behavior. Yeah. I mean, it, it it's so out of step with everything else we do. You, you, you just, you're left scratching your head. What's behind it? What's driving it? Uh, General Bailey, I want to thank you for joining us uh, on two topics. Thank you for fighting for taxpayers, and uh, thank you for fighting for the children. Thank you for having me. All right, very good. Well, we're going to talk more about this drive to take advantage of these children. What's behind it? Dr. Jennifer, Jennifer Balance from the Family Research Council joins me next here in studio. Don't go away. More Washington Watch straight ahead. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this Tuesday. Website, TonyPerkins.com. Be sure and visit TonyPerkins.com. We all know minors cannot purchase cigarettes, consume alcohol, or gamble until they become legal adults at the age of 18. 
Um, all three have harmful, lifelong effects to which minors cannot meaningfully give uh, consent. But the LGBT lobby is more than okay with grooming children in the direction of chemically and surgically altering their bodies to superficially appear more like the opposite sex. Now, thankfully, some states are stepping up and saying no to this, tran- this gender transition procedures, uh, these procedures that have lifelong implications for children who cannot legally consent. These laws, sometimes called Save Adolescents from Experimentation Acts or SAFE Acts, protect children from having irreversible harm done to their bodies. Joining me now to discuss this is FRC's Dr. Jennifer Ballin. She's the director of FRC's Center for Family Studies. Jennifer, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tony. It's good to be here. All right. You um, are a licensed therapist, clinical um, researcher, and I was just talking with the Attorney General of Missouri about what's happening there in St. Louis, uh, how these uh, parents are being coerced into their children, uh, moving through this process of uh, same-sex hormones, uh, puberty blockers. And we were discussing the question as why. Why is this treated differently? And your testimony before the Nebraska legislature recently brought that point forward that we're treating this differently than anything else. Tell us how, and then tell us why. Yeah, well, there are a couple of things that um, are going on here. And one, if we look at the bigger picture, is that we have clinical licensing boards, um, codes of ethics for the profession, counseling bans. All of these things create a lot of pressure on those who are in the field as therapists. Uh, for those of us who don't believe that this, these procedures are the best treatment, um, there's pressure on us to conform because our, our code says it. Maybe we live in a state that bans us to do any kind of exploration. If a child comes in and says, I have gender dysphoria or I'm, I'm transgender. So they're restricting you from even having the conversation. That's right. So they're restricting normal, good treatment. Well, good what else do they do that for? Um, well, I think what's happened is that this issue has become a human rights issue. So once you elevate it to a human rights issue, you can throw out the science and you can attack your opponents as bigoted, racist, etc. And you're not going to look at the true issues. But it's not a human rights issue. That's right. It's not a human rights issue. And so what, what, what we, kind of issue is it? <laughs> it's a mental health issue. It's a spiritual issue. Um, it's an ideological issue with a lot of money backed behind these issues. Um, so what is the motivation? Is yeah. it is it the money? Is it the profit motive? Or is it a blind allegiance to an ideology? I think it's all of the above. The answer is D. Okay. <laughs> all of the above. You certainly have some key um, money backers, um, you know, that that are funding this ideology. But then you have those who just believe in it hook, line, and sinker. And some of those folks, they're going to advocate for this no matter what you say. Because anyone who actually looks at the science, they start backing away from it if they have an open mind to to The science is clear? The science is very clear. Look, every country that actually assesses the, the research with any kind of critical eye, they start backing away from it. Florida did the same thing. When you look at this, it's inexplicable how we're advancing this without looking at the science or asking legitimate questions that we would ask on other topics. Yeah. You mentioned the spiritual. Is this 
is there a spiritual f- element to this of driving of a darkness to to lock our children into a very destructive and dangerous path? Absolutely. Because what this does is it promotes a, a type of fracturing of the mind and spirit. So if you can fracture someone's mind so much that they don't know who they are, they're disconnected, almost like the Gnostics back in the biblical days where they, they were disconnected from the body and the, and the soul, um, or they believed in that kind of disconnection, um, you can control someone a lot easier when they're when they need mental health and spiritual health and that help. that makes it difficult to f- to find truth and it makes it difficult to connect with the triune being who is complete together father son and holy spirit and and we as spirit soul and body are are like that triune right. being and so i believe the enemy of our soul is trying to fracture that so that we don't even connect in who we're supposed to represent and reflect. So a conspiracy aimed at our children driven by the spiritual forces of darkness. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so when we're fighting this, we're not fighting flesh and blood. We are we are in a spiritual war. And the good news is that we're seeing movement. Yeah. Uh, we on are our side. a lot of movement across yeah. states. People are, are seeing this, but for parents that find themselves, grandparents find themselves in this situation, they have to recognize the spiritual side of this, and and begin to pray and seek uh, that spiritual guidance as well. Yeah, absolutely. We can't um, we can't separate. Just like we're talking about all this separation, we can't separate the spiritual aspect of this from the physical obedience of standing up and saying something. Dr. Bounds, that music means we're out of time. I I hate that because it's always just uh, fascinating to talk with you. So thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Look forward to our next conversation. Good to be with you. All right. All right. Next up here on Washington Watch, Congresswoman Lisa McClain joins me to talk about the House Oversight and Accountability's efforts to protect speech from government censorship and to give back the voice to those who were silenced from challenging the bad science during the COVID pandemic. And then we're going to be talking about the WHO, the WHO, meeting in Geneva this week. Don't go away. More Washington Watch straight ahead. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? 
Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make the difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Again, the website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it's at T. Perkins. Pandemic-era fact-checkers and big-tech misinformation flaggers have gotten quite a bit of egg on their faces uh, collectively over the past two to three years for squelching statements on COVID that didn't align with those of Mr. Science, Dr. Anthony Fauci, and the Biden administration statements that turned out to be right, uh, I might add. So all of these folks who were challenging the science of Dr. Fauci and others were censored. They were silenced. Now, more and more, I mean, even this week, where we're seeing that uh, the Department of Energy suggesting that there's evidence to say that the, the virus came from the Wuhan lab, something that was stated early on, only to see those people attacked for saying that, and then silenced. So how do we make sure those voices are not silenced in future pandemics? Those that raise questions about the effectiveness of masks, those that raise questions about the vaccine, all this information, the science, if you will, is proving that the critics were right. Now, that question as to how do we make sure those voices have a platform in the future is what Republicans on the House Oversight and Accountability Committee are trying to answer. Join me now to talk about this and more is Congresswoman Lisa McLean, a member of the House Oversight and Accountability Committee, as well as the Armed Services Committee and the Committee on Education and the Workforce. She represents the 9th Congressional District of Michigan. Congresswoman McLean, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, so tell us a little bit about today's markup, the discussion, and what you hope to do. Well, actually, today's markup was was very productive, Um, and it was productive in the sense that we really called out the hypocrisy that's been happening over the past, really, three years since, since the start of COVID. You know, at the beginning, we said, hey, why don't we take a look at the origins of COVID? And the left 
sentenced us. I, I say sentenced us, but they censured us. They put us on the sidelines. They didn't listen to what we had to say. They kicked us off Facebook. They branded us, uh, Facebook, Twitter. Um, they branded us as conspiracy theories, uh, theories. And then even worse, the White House approved it. So they tried to silence our voice. Now, funny, maybe we're not that crazy. Maybe we actually did know what we were talking about. And see, this is why we live in America, because the power needs to be in the people's hands. And that's why our First Amendment right is so critical, the right to free speech. So I trust the people. And that is our job to ask questions. Right. And I think what you saw in the oversight hearing today was they had a lot of egg on their face. And it was funny how they tried to pivot, but we didn't let them. And I will tell you, we will continue to have oversight on where the origin of COVID and who's responsible for it and dig deep into this. Because the American people need to know, one, so we don't live relive the past, but, but two, somebody has to be held accountable for right. this. I, I think that is critical, Congresswoman, because if not, I do not think... And, and there'll be another pandemic. I mean, it's just a matter of time. There'll be something else. But people are not going to trust the government unless there is someone held accountable and we take solid steps to fix it. Because we saw, look, they've been wrong on everything. They were wrong on the mask. Uh, there's evidence to suggest they were wrong on the vaccines, especially when they didn't take into account natural immunity. We're now seeing, you know, just over the weekend, more information coming out that it does look like this came from the Wuhan lab. And those who brought that up were 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 jumped on. And as you said, they were advancing a conspiracy. So unless they get this fixed, I'll tell you what, I will be first in line not to trust the government. Well, and unfortunately, that's what's happening is because the government shouldn't be silencing people's voices, at least not here in America. They should be encouraging their people's voice because that what's that's what makes us a stronger union is the ability that we can hear and we can we can speak our mind and we question authority. It, it, it's follow the science, follow the science, follow the science. How much of the follow the science are we really hearing now from all the other media outlets that ridiculed us? Right. Last year, I didn't get an apology. So we, we see the Biden administration no longer rejecting the Wuhan lab leak theory. So we see some movement there. But do you think you're going to see those on the other side of the aisle join you in ensuring that all Americans have the right to engage in conversation and, as you said, ask questions? You know, I would hope that's the case. Unfortunately, hope isn't a strategy. And I don't see that happening anytime soon. I think we need to continue on this path of fact and of science and continue to call out the hypocrisy. I mean, what happened, which I thought was very interesting today um, in, in, in the oversight hearing, was Jamie Raskin kept talking about, well, Twitter is a private entity. It's a private entity. It's a private entity. Well, okay, then let's treat Twitter like a private entity, but they want to treat Twitter, for example, as a private entity with an asterisk. And I think that's what the, the American people are so disgusted with is have a rule, have a concept, have a law, but that law needs to be fair and, and 
and executed no matter what side of the aisle that you're right. on. But there's mounting evidence to show that the government actually worked with Twitter and the other social media platforms to to censor the First Amendment rights of uh, of the citizens who engaged on those platforms. And that's shameful. And now they're trying to cover that up. And we are exposing it. And I will share with you, Jamie Comer um, is doing a phenomenal job of exposing what has happened over the past two years and getting to the truth, which is what the American people deserve on everything that has happened with COVID. I mean, think about this for one moment. This COVID, COVID in essence, shut the world down. Remember, mm-hmm. I know in my state, we could only operate at 25% capacities. Businesses went out of business, uh, companies and small businesses went out of business. Um, um, children, look at what happened with COVID with, with all of the um, learning, the drop in learning. Not one oversight hearing until we took the gavel on where did COVID originate? We were just all supposed to follow the science right. and fall behind Dr. Fauci. And what we're seeing now, that was the wrong thing to do. And we are uncovering truths and we'll continue to uncover those truths in the oversight committee. We've just begun. Let me have a final question for you, Congresswoman McLean, as you serve on what I think is going to be one of the spotlight committees in the 118th Congress, because there's so much to provide accountability and oversight to. What... Um, what should we be looking for here in the in the coming weeks? What, what should we be watching for? Well, I, I think you should still continue to watch with where did COVID originate. But I also think on that same COVID theme, what happened to all the money? I mean, we spent trillions of dollars. Where did that money go? Which is the second half of, of the committee, accountability. There needs to be some accountability for these agencies on the taxpayers' dollars. What happened to those dollars? So I think you'll see the oversight, but I think what you'll see a lot more going forward is accountability on here's what you were given. What did you do with the last tranche of money that you got? And was it spent wisely? Did we get value for our dollar? I think you'll see a lot of oversight and accountability on the waste, the fraud, and the abuse. Um, we've already began some of those hearings. I think you're going to see a lot more of those. And there needs to be consequences to those yeah. people who, who, who committed the, the fraud and the waste and the abuse. You're absolutely the- right, because that's what brings back the the trust in government next time we face something like this, because I tell you right now, the trust level is at zero when it comes to how the government has uh, handled all of this. Congresswoman, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us, and we'll be back in touch as more information comes to the surface. Thanks so much, Tony. Have a great night. You too. All right, uh, switching gears somewhat, but not much, the World Health Organization, who? is meeting in Switzerland to advance a legally binding international accord on pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response. Now, we've been highlighting this on the program here. The Biden administration has reportedly been working with the WHO on this deal, which would hand over public health policy to an unaccountable and unelected international bureaucracy, which, by the way, was helping cover the tracks for China and the Wuhan lab after the leak of the virus. Now, 
given WHO's inept response to COVID-19, it's hard to imagine that anyone that has half a brain would think about giving them more authority to direct global public health. This is crazy. Joining me now to talk about this is Jim Roguski. He is a member of the Law and Activism Committee at the World Council for Health, who has been tracking this very closely. Jim, welcome back to Washington Watch. Well, thank you very much for having me. There is so much misinformation out there. Where would you like to start? Well, those that are not aware, give us a quick overview of this agreement or this accord that's been drafted for consideration. Well, the first thing is what most everyone is talking about is actually, in my opinion, a decoy. There are two separate negotiations going on. Most people in the media are talking about what is commonly known as the pandemic treaty, And that's not what I've been concerned about for the last year. There's a totally different um, set of negotiations going on, which are proposed amendments to the existing international health regulations. That, in my mind, is of much bigger concern. And almost everybody out there is getting them all crossed up and mixed up. I see the um, treaty as a real thing. It is a problem. It's a 32-page document. They currently refer to it as the zero draft. The first 12 pages of that document are the sugariest, sweetest propaganda you've ever laid eyes on. The remainder of it has some horrible um, aspects to it, but that's not really where the action is in, in my book. The proposed amendments to the international health regulations, totally different document, totally different set of proposals, totally different group that is negotiating them. It's always a clue when the media is all talking about one thing and they're not talking about something else. you got to look at the something else that they're not talking about. And so the international health regulations have been around for longer than I've been alive. It's an existing agreement. And as part of that agreement, all that needs to be done is amendments at the at the World Health Assembly in May, any May, this year, next year, whenever. Last year, they actually adopted amendments. They simply discuss a document. They say to the 194 delegates, are there any objections? And if nobody raises an objection, boom, it's international law. Nobody is talking about that. So the let's talk about that. Uh, what are contained in those amendments? There are 307 proposed amendments. The current international health regulations are only have 66 articles. They would seek to amend 33 of those and add an additional six new articles. At the end of that, there are nine annexes. They seek to amend six of them and add a new tenth annex. The the summary of it is that they would change the definition of the word recommendation. Currently, the word recommendation is non-binding advice. But Bangladesh submitted a proposal to cross out the phrase non-binding, and Malaysia submitted a proposed amendment to Article 42, which would make it so that recommendations shall be implemented as soon as possible. Even the International Health Regulations Review Committee, which was charged in October, November, December, and January in reviewing these documents, said 
that that would change the entire nature of the WHO. It would change the entire nature of the international health regulations. It would change it from an advisory body to essentially a dictatorial totalitarian, you know, command organization. And there's 307 articles, I'm sorry, 307 proposed amendments. And in the summary of that, the word shall is in there 263 times. So, and in so Jim, are words, they shall means you must. Are, yeah. are they working on that on a parallel track this week as well in Geneva? Technically, they worked on it last week. Um, they were supposed to have week-long meetings, you know, a morning session and an afternoon session. They only uh, recorded four of the ten sessions over the five days. Six of the sessions were completely in secret. This week, they're talking about the proposed treaty, and the same thing seems to be going on. They had a couple of recorded sessions, but um, they had a, a so, live session this morning, but now they're So they're hiding secret. They're hiding it. They're hiding it sort of in plain sight. I mean, we do have certain information. Now, yeah. there was a lot of rumors on the Internet um, that said it was a done deal, that Biden had signed it. Right. Here's, here's hey, Jim, what Jim we're, we're, unfortunately, we're up against the end of the program. We're, we, we've, we're not taking a break. We've got to quit. But <laughs> I want to get you back on uh, maybe on Thursday as we get more out of Geneva and we can unpack this even more. All the information is on StopTheWho.com. All right. Very good. Jim, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Folks, I'm gonna, we're going to get back on this on Thursday as this meeting in Switzerland kind of unfolds and give you some action items. One is text the word WHO, W-H-O, to 67742. We want Congress to defund them. We want the Republicans to draw a line on this and not give away power to this uh, global entity. All right. We're out of time, really. All out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time, remember the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, who says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 